Well, good morning, and welcome again to St. Paul's. Let's pray together. Through your written word and the spoken word, may we know your living word, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. What happens when we die? This has been a question and maybe the question for all of human history. Theories abound. I was watching the popular Apple TV show Ted Lasso the other week and was amused by the many theories that the characters came up with when they were discussing this question. And I promise this is not a big spoiler for those who haven't seen it yet. See if any of these theories resonate with you. Ted Lasso, the lovable main character, says he always believed that people who did good things went to heaven and people who do bad things go to hell. But now, people tend to do both good and bad things, and so he just doesn't know anymore. Another character imagines a heaven where animals are in charge and humans are pets, and he could just curl up by the fire and be stroked. Another wants to be reincarnated as a tiger. Another points out that if you weigh the body, a person's body right after death, it's 21.3 grams lighter, and some say that's the weight of the soul. Another says, you live, you die, you're done, good night. And finally, the last character wants to be buried in a biodegradable sack that fertilizes the seeds of a fruit tree so that all the people who love her can eat from this fruit tree and thus she continues on in some form. Another current show, Upload, portrays a virtual heaven, which is supposed to be bliss but where some people go crazy and seek annihilation when they realize that they're stuck there forever. Heaven or hell, animals in charge, reincarnation, a 21.3 gram soul, nihilism, your body nourishing the earth, or an everlasting existence that is eventually intolerable. Some of the possibilities of what death holds for us according to the culture. Today marks the last day in our summer teaching series. Over the past 12 weeks, we've been unpacking the 12 integral statements in the Apostles' Creed, the statement of belief that we say some version of every single week. We've looked at all the different claims of it, what it means to say, I believe, what it means to call God our Father, and that Jesus Christ is Lord. We've looked at the virgin birth, Jesus' death, Jesus' descent into the realm of the dead and his resurrection, his ascension into heaven and his promise to come again. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's work in the church, the body of Christ, and in our lives in the forgiveness of sins. And that brings us to today, the final statement of the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Resurrection and life everlasting, two of the central claims of Christianity that together address the question, what happens when we die? What does this line in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, actually mean for us? I believe it holds not only the hope of what is to come, but hope for today. Hope that our current life with all of its struggles all of its fears and all of its joys is preparing us for something far greater than we can imagine. 
The Apostle Paul, in our reading this morning from his first letter to the Corinthian church, is examining this very question of what resurrection life looks like. It's a question we actually began a month and a half ago, when we came to the statement, Jesus descended to the dead and rose again. And if you were there that Sunday, or if you've watched that sermon online since, you may remember that we explored the truth of the resurrection, Christ's resurrection from the dead and what it actually means for us. We saw that because we believe and say that Christ was raised from the dead physically, we also will be raised. That death is not the end for us, and because of that, that we can live lives of meaning and purpose. This morning's reading actually picks up in the same chapter that we read from then, because Paul is continuing to explore this question. And you can follow along in your Bibles if you've got them on, in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 35, or you can find it in the Pew Bibles in your pew on page 177 towards the back. Paul has posed two questions for the sake of answering them. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? How foolish, he replies to this hypothetical person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you don't sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. In other words, don't imagine that this life is just a mere continuation of the next one, only with things just as we like them. What it will be is related, but not the same. Let's look at this analogy of seeds for a second. If we look at a seed of wheat, I don't know if everyone here has looked at a seed of wheat, it probably used to be more common, but imagine a seed of wheat. We don't know what it will be just based on its appearance, but we do know that it carries the information in it for what it will become. The stalk of wheat that emerges from this seed is connected to the seed that was. In order to become that thing, however, it must die. It must die to its current form, cease to be a seed entirely, be buried in the ground, and then be birthed into something unforeseen. And so it will be with us, Paul says. We will die, we will be buried, and we will be birthed into something unforeseen and yet connected to what we were. And Paul says that what that new thing is will be good. Listen to his descriptors. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Let's just think about that for a second. Here, our bodies break down over time. We get gray hairs, wrinkles, sunspots. We get cancer or other diseases. And eventually, our bodies stop working altogether. But Paul says those future bodies will not undergo any decay at all. Our bodies, he continues, are sown in dishonor and raised in glory. What does that mean? Well, our bodies here are associated with so much shame. Dishonor, shame, and embarrassment. We know these feelings, probably very intimately related to our bodies whether it's related to our looks or our weight, how we act or how we feel or the uncomfortable noises we make sometimes, whatever it may be, our bodies do not always behave or look how we want them to, and we often feel shame regarding that. There are lots of movements out there to try and correct this, and some of them have a lot to commend them. 
But ultimately, we live in a world under the power of sin and death. And one of the consequences of that is how we see and experience our own bodies. We also, let me say, experience the glory and the beauty of our bodies, of how we were created sometimes, but all too often with shame attached. But Paul says that will not always be the case because we were created for glory. We were created to not be naked and ashamed, but unashamed. And one day, we will experience living in bodies with no shame attached, only glory. Our bodies, he continues, are sown in weakness and raised in power. Weakness, the inability to be strong in the way that we want, whether it is physically or spiritually or mentally or any other way. We each have our limitations that we constantly run into. But our resurrected bodies will not know these limitations. They will be powerful, not weak. So to sum up, we will become something that is connected to who we currently are. We won't be totally unrecognizable, the Bible says, if we can pattern our resurrection after Jesus' resurrection, which is what the Bible says we will. His friends knew him. He was a little changed, yes, and he had new powers that they didn't really understand, but he was recognizable. But we will also be so far beyond what we are now that we can't currently picture it. A level of glory that humanity was originally designed for, but lost when sin entered the world. Take a moment just to imagine all that. Imperishable, glorious, powerful. But there's a fourth descriptor that Paul adds, one that's not included in our reading this morning, and this one is key to all the others. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. What does Paul mean? Is this countering everything that I just said? Are we nothing more than ghosts in the afterlife? What happened to all those glorious bodies? Some people read this and believe that Paul is advocating for a dualistic kind of nature, one that persists in Christian thinking often today, that physical or material is bad and that spiritual is good. But the Bible does not teach that, and that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's talking about two different kinds of life force. The word physical here actually could be translated more like natural or unspiritual, material. In other words, the bodies that we're born into here run on the ordinary kind of life that fill us all, the kind of life that we need to sustain through the energy of the sun and through eating and drinking every day, the spark of life that leaves our body when we die. But that ordinary life force is not what our resurrected bodies will run on. We will be raised a spiritual body. In other words, a body living in the power of the Holy Spirit. One that doesn't need sun or food or drink to exist. And there are other verses in the Bible that say that very thing. Because we aren't getting our power of life from those things, but from the Holy Spirit. Our glorious, shame-free, imperishable, disease-free, powerful bodies will be made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. 
And that process begins not at our physical death, but at our baptism. Scripture teaches us that when we go into the waters of baptism, it is like a kind of death. We are submitting our natural life to Christ. We're allowing him full access to and full lordship over every single part of our bodies and our lives. We no longer live for ourselves, but for God. And we are in turn filled with the life of the Holy Spirit, who bit by bit begins to transform us into Christ's likeness, into the sort of people who can exist for all of eternity in his glorious presence. Theologian Ben Myers, the author of the book The Apostles' Creed, which I know many of you bought at the beginning of this series, says this beautifully. Death is serious, but not as serious as life. It has been placed in a wider context of meaning. By nature, we are all on the way from birth to death. But by grace, we are traveling in the opposite direction. The Christian life is a mystery that moves from death to birth. At the beginning, we are baptized into Christ's death. And at the end, we are born into the life of the resurrection. We are born as though dying. We die as those who are being born. We are born as, those, as though dying. We die as those who are being born. So what if this is all true? What does this mean for us? Well, if you're one of the many people who come to St. Paul's or who watch us online who are spiritually searching and not sure what you think about all this, we are delighted that you are here with us. And you can find out much more about these big questions of life in our Alpha course, which is starting next week, and you can talk to Ben after the service or email him if you're online. Or if you want to find out more about what it means to follow Jesus and maybe to receive this new life of the Spirit in baptism, we have a course called Turning to Christ, and that begins on September 18th, and you can talk to Tyler or send him an email. And for those here or online who have already gone through the waters of baptism and have been born into this new life in Christ, have courage, friends. This life is not easy. For now, we struggle with these bodies that are perishable. We struggle with sin, with shame, with weakness, with disease, and with heartache. But as Paul says elsewhere, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Beloved, fix your eyes on Jesus. And know that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until at last we stand together before the throne of God, clothed in our imperishable, glorious, and powerful resurrection bodies, full of the life of the Spirit. This is the promise of God. And we know that it is true because he has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. For in Christ, 
every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason, it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. And so we end the creed, and we end this teaching series, and we end this summer with this word, amen, meaning it is true. We agree. We believe. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. Amen.